This is Transistor.fm. Hey, product people. Have you been making excuses as to why you can't build your own product, bootstrap your own business, or hire someone on Odesk? Well, you need to listen to this episode because Ruben Gamez is here to destroy all those objections. This is part two of my conversation with Ruben, and you're going to get a lot out of it. First, let me thank our great sponsors. If you are creating an application that needs charts or dashboard, Fusion Charts is the solution for you. Trusted by developers around the world, they have a whole variety of interactive and animated charts with all sorts of flexibility. Their charts work across all platforms, PCs, Macs, iPads, iPhones, and you can download a free trial at FusionCharts.com. And Sprintly, they've been here from the beginning. I am a huge advocate for these guys. I use their product every day. It's the perfect way to manage the software development process, especially if you're using Agile or Kanban methodologies. Check Sprintly out. You can do it for you can try it for free by going to www.sprint.ly. And once you sign up for a billing plan, use my promotion code ProductPeopleTV2013, and you'll get yourself 10% off. Now, let's get back to part two with Ruben Gamez. Right. So as an example, um, a while back, I posted a job for, uh, for a help this person, um, for a support person on Odesk. Uh, and some of the things that I was asking for up front in the, in the job posting, right, so like that they'd uh, have to answer support email in the morning, uh, in the middle of the day, at night, late at night, <laughs> right, at least three times a day, preferably a little bit more. Yeah. Um, on the weekends, right? I was asking for a lot. Yeah. Like if I if I were to read that job posting, I'd say, oh, forget that. I'm not, <laughs> not going to do that, right? Yeah. And then I'd I'd want them to be responsive, you know, uh, preferably, you know, uh, generally within like one hour or a couple of hours, they'd be able to get back to me most of the time. Right? Mm-hmm. And I got back some really great, amazing people. Um, I was surprised at the, at the quality of the people that I got back. And why do you think, why, why did you, so many quality people apply? I think that for jobs like that, um, they're generally easy, right? All you need is a computer. Uh, to, you need to be able to do some research online, uh, use Microsoft Word or Office. Um, so those jobs can be super appealing. Mm-hmm. To, to a lot of people, work from home jobs that um, give them a lot of flexibility. They're they're willing to their trade offs, right? So they're willing to take that uh, to be and be a little bit more responsive and maybe you know do a little uh, work kind of odd hours or whatever. Yeah, it gives them a lot more flexibility on on other things. Yeah, and what's the kind of uh, let's say for a developer, what's the average rate for someone on ODesk? So. There is no average rate. It depends on, you know, like the country and even then. It's just like it's all over the place, right? Yeah. So I can tell you what I've paid in the yeah. early days when I was building BidSketch. I, like I said, I didn't have a lot of money. I spent from like $6 an hour to 10 up to $10 an hour. Wow. So super, super low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super, right? Yeah. I average about eight. Nowadays, when I hire developers, I'm paying in the 20s. 
Okay, and talk us through that. Why, why the difference? The quality is, it's, it's way easier to find somebody that's of better quality, you know, paying them like in the 20s. Mm -hmm. um, and it's easier to find, that's what I have to pay to find somebody that's in a closer time zone. Like now, both of the developers that I have are in Argentina. Right? Okay, yeah. And that's what I wanted. So it's, it's a little bit more expensive. Um, that said, the quality is excellent. Like uh, in my old job where I worked, we were paying, like those developers were making close to like six figures a year, right? Yeah. Uh, the developers that I'm working with now that are getting paid, you know, in the 20s and the ones that I've worked with before, uh, you know, from Odesk and all that, yeah. better than those developers. Wow. In the U.S. making, you know, like close to six figures. Wow, because that's, that's been the other kind of uh, worry that a lot of people have is, you know, uh, that the quality won't be very good. But you're saying yeah. for yourself, when you, at about $20 an hour from Argentina, that you're getting really great quality people from there. Yeah, like 25, 26. Um, yeah, you have to think about like how much, whether or not it's great pay where they are, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about whether or not it's great pay like here in the U.S. Yeah. Or in Canada, right? Yeah. So sorry, you're saying and up to $26 an hour? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, like one of them I started, he actually requested to start off at like 20 and said, like, okay, let's, you know, uh, after like a month, we'll go up a little bit. And then after another month, we'll go up a little bit. So now um, I think they're both, it's, it's been a while. So they're both, I think, at $27 an hour is what I'm paying them. Gotcha. Gotcha. But still a lot lower than hiring someone in the United States. Right, right. Huh. That's interesting. And how would you describe your relationship with these people? Like, for example, these two developers in Argentina, like what's your everyday kind of relationship with them? So one of them, now I'm trying to work with developers that, so one of them is full-time, right? The other one's part-time. Okay. I try to not work with part-time developers, but the part-time guy is really, really good. Um, and, you know, so... So I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, he was supposed to be like shorter term, but you know, there's always stuff to do. Yeah. The one who's full time, he's actually in uh, Ireland right now for a couple of months, uh, but then he's coming back to Argentina. Uh, generally, the way that it works is, you know, I'll jump on Skype. Uh, he'll be on there, and you know, then we start chatting, right? And it's awesome for me. It's, it was so different going from working with somebody that was I don't know, in India or something like that, right? where I couldn't really have these chats on Skype. Yeah. It was much harder because of the time zone difference to where now it's like instant, right? He's got a question. Uh, I answer it. You know, I have a question. He answers and it's, you know, it's great. I treat them like if, especially, you know, uh, this developer who's full-time, like, like he is a full-time W2 employee for me. Right. <laughs> so like I, I buy, I buy him uh, an audible subscription, right? Yeah, uh, because I know he likes audio books. I buy him uh, subscriptions to other, like uh, Peep Code and, and stuff like that. Just little, you know, these little perks that yeah. I give to to somebody who's you know who I I had hired as a W two employee. 
Yeah. So this is this is not like um, you know, sometimes people in this space can feel like they're running a fake company. This is a real deal company you're running. You've got, and even though you've hired these folks, um, you know, remotely, you, you still consider them to be your employees. Right, right. So absolutely. Like I actually just hired my first W2 employee and uh, she's, she does uh, basically every, most of the things that, that are not coding or design. Yeah. Uh, you know, handles a lot of the support and I say customer her positions like customer experience. She yeah. just did uh, help with like did actually did most of the uh, customer development interviews with uh, 20, 20 companies. Oh wow. Uh, handled it great. Um, and I found her through Craigslist actually. Uh, she lives in Washington, so she's in the US. Interesting, and and for the for the developers, do you still use Odesk to manage them, or are you just off Odesk now and you're using your own systems and process? For them, it's uh, on Odesk. Okay, so you're still you're using the tool that allows you to kind of see what they're doing and right, and, right. Gotcha, gotcha. Interesting. Okay, so this is this is really interesting. Um, and I, I think helpful for our audience, especially because there's a lot of people that are, I think they think about that. And there's so much about this that is overwhelming. Like, let's say you do finally get to something that you think has, um, you know, that is a legitimate pain point and you have an idea of where you want to go. Yeah, that actually getting it built is the hard part. And that what I see, and I talk to a lot of people, you know, people email me and things like that. And they'll say, well, I've been working on this for three years or six years. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of just yeah. plodding along. Yeah. How, how long did it take you once you, you, uh, you know, started from scratch again to rebuild BidSketch? Uh, got to beta in like four months. Wow. At that point. So it wow. went a lot faster. It really did. It's a huge, it, huge help. Wow. Okay. Well, let's, in these kind of last minutes we have, let's talk a bit about marketing because that's what people are always interested to know, like, <laughs> how do you find people <laughs> for this stuff? So how did, how did you validate the idea, first of all? Like, how did you, you had a sense by observing, you know, uh, at your own company that this was a, or with your buddy there, that this was a need. How did you know that more people would be interested in this? So um, I, by that time, like I said, I was reading some blogs and, and marketing books I knew that I wanted to to do something to, to kind of measure demand. And the best thing that I, that I needed to do at that point was just to go to the Google uh, keyword tool and see if people were searching for for the product. Now, people nobody was searching for um, a web design proposal tool or yeah. web design proposal software because I was I was going niche with uh, you know I was focusing on on the design niche right yeah. Um, but people were searching for web design proposal templates um, and you know web design uh, contracts and stuff like that. And I and I knew I could put up landing pages and offer that for free. Um, and the traffic was not it wasn't competitive. It, there wasn't a lot of it, but that was okay. Like I just needed to capture a small amount of traffic, right? Yeah. Convert it, uh, and I felt that I can convince those people to sign up to a product once they knew uh, it existed, right? Um, I also saw that people were searching for um, other topics like 
so for blogging, I didn't have an audience. I didn't know anybody, anything like that, right? So mm -hmm. um, when you're starting from scratch like that, uh, you can't just write posts uh, and you know have people appear and start reading and start sharing and all that, right? Yeah, you, you need uh, need to expose that to to an audience. The way that I did that was just uh, using the keyword tool to sort of guess about what um, what they might be searching for. So, you know, I, I would type in stuff like charge for web design, and then it would give me hints, right, about um, suggestions about what other what they were actually searching for and how many searches people were um, you know, doing a month for that. Yeah. So then, uh, you know, how to write your web design proposal, stuff like that, like a lot of how-to uh, posts. And so you're basically, and so was most of your traffic coming from like organic search results? Yeah, in in the early days, it was mostly that. Wow. Mostly that. So whether it was you know through those template pages, or uh, through those landing pages where I offered templates uh, later on the contract, uh, or blog posts, uh, even the blog posts, they were all like focused on keywords. Wow, and and you're basically trying to get them to sign up for an email list. Is that right? Right. So I had like the blog, and then I had in front of the blog. Um, if you just went to the domain, you had, uh, you know, a really simple landing page where it had like two sentences or something like that. A bullet list, uh, three items describing the product, and then uh, an email sign up form. Huh. And give us a sense of numbers, like when you started, and what kind of traffic and what kind of signups were you seeing? Um, hmm. I have a really bad memory, so I hope I'm close to what they were actually. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I looked this up a little a while ago. I think it was like in between two to 3,000 uh, uniques a month. So it wasn't a lot. Gotcha. Uh, but for me, it was a lot, right? Like, I mean, you know, I had no website, had nothing, right? So mm -hmm. I put something up. I have zero visitors, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm like slowly of like, you know, one, two, three, right? And then eventually get up to like 2,000 or 3,000 a month. That's, that's, I felt like, you know, a huge amount of visitors, right? Yeah, that's significant. Yeah. I, I know a lot of bloggers that have been going for a long time and 2,000 visitors is a, is a good month for them. Uh, it's, it's especially interesting that you did this through like basically SEO, like keywords, um, targeting different keywords. I, I haven't heard of that approach before. Yeah, that was the only way that I knew of at, at the time. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know of like Hacker News or, or anything like that back then. Um, and I mean, you know, because a lot of people, what, what they do nowadays is, uh, even back then, is basically uh, write a post, uh, try and get it on Hacker News. Yeah, and you know, then maybe get some of that traffic to sign up to the email list. Yeah, and I probably would have tried some of that, but I think I would have still stuck with SEO because, um, like the eight of the Hack News route or you know whatever it is, uh, it just feels. I don't know. It's like with SEO, especially if you're going after keywords that aren't competitive, mm -hmm. uh, you can be a lot more. Uh, sure about the results that you're going to get, right? Mm -hmm. it's more, it feels more like a gamble to, to, to go the Hacker News route. Yeah. I know it works really well for some people, and if it works, you know, if, if you're the type of person that 
can make that work, I think it's great because you can get some, you know, some, you know, as long as the product is aligned with that audience and all that stuff, right? Yeah. I think, I think it can work out pretty well, but um, I kind of always just like the approach of like getting people that are searching for something, right? Like, you know, the intent, right? Mm. You know, their mindset, uh, they want something, you just give it to them and, and uh, you know, try to get them to sign up on, on the list. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is probably a good time to talk about, um, I noticed that, I think on Twitter we were talking about this, that you had said um, that you're not really into this kind of personality marketing and branding, that you would rather uh, have kind of your company be the focus. Can you maybe just go into that a little bit? Yeah, so like I see this really big trend nowadays and uh, it's basically where people are doing a lot of work to position themselves as an authority, right? As an expert. Mm -hmm. And so that just goes against like my personality is just very different from that. I don't like uh, all the attention. I don't like seeking attention. I'd rather my product get the attention or, or my product get famous, right? If you want to say that. Yeah. And maybe fam I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be known for it. Yeah. Um, I want my my company and my product to be to be known. Uh, that's the way that I that I look at it. Um, you know, because I don't want the worth of my company tied directly tied to you know me. Meaning that if I leave, or if I'm not around, or if I'm not answering emails or doing whatever, that uh, people don't sign up. That my company is not worth anything because of it. Yeah, right? I think that's a valid point. I especially when we were chatting about this before I was thinking about that uh, and it was that exactly what you just said that you know if it's very personality driven and this actually happened to uh, I think it was Ryan Carson was talking about this when he sold future of web apps his conference business mm, yeah. uh, that almost derailed the whole negotiation because they were worried that that business was too tied to him, right? It was called Carsonified. It was really a lot of a lot about him. Uh, so that's interesting that you're kind of setting this up so that bid sketch is the focus, and um, you know you're involved in bid sketch. You're the the founder and all that, but you're you kind of play second fiddle to the the product itself. Right, and it's it's not so much that like you know um, when somebody signs up, they get a, they get a welcome email, and it's from me. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not that they're, they're, you know, everything's from like the bid sketch team or, or something like that. Right. To where it feels like you're dealing with Google or a really big company. So it's not anything like that. It's just about the amount of effort that I put into making myself into an authority or making myself famous or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. however you want to put that. Um, I don't, I don't do that. So like, if you look at my blog, uh, now, nowadays, I have several people contributing to the blog, um, and it's not like I could have hired several writers to ghostwrite and then put everything under my name if I wanted to outsource it, right? Or I've yeah. written it myself or whatever. I don't do that. I have people, other people contributing. Uh, it's really high quality content you know, for the product blog, and everybody writes under their own name, right? And uh, I don't have a single writer doing it either because I don't want, you know, everything associated with that one single person either. Right. Yeah. So people talk about it as, uh, you know, when they say they like the blog, they'll say they like the bid sketch blog. 
Like they don't they don't say they like my blog or this other person's blog. Exactly. Yeah, I really like that. I think that's refreshing. Um, especially for me, like I, I actually, I naturally like attention. <laughs> so, 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 you know, that, that, that whole side definitely appeals to me uh, and, but I can see the wisdom in what you're doing. And I do, I, I mean, I also meet people that, that are, uh, you know, maybe a similar, similar to you in the sense that they don't want attention. They don't want to, um, you know, play that whole game. Yeah. That, that's the other thing that I, that I see too is, that because a lot of people are talking about it and doing it nowadays, uh, it seems like they are. Anyways, people that I follow mm-hmm. uh, and see speak and all that. Um, I think it's great for people that want that. You know, it's it's a great approach. But mm-hmm. I also now I'm starting to see people that that probably shouldn't be trying to do that. That don't really want that trying it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and it's not really the best approach for them. Yeah. Like you, it's you know, it's it's. You, you really have to use what you have to your advantage, right? Stack the chips in your favor as much as possible. Yeah. Well, and I also, I mean, there's a kind of a good forewarning there too. If you're thinking about, you know, taking a vacation or selling your company or anything like that, um, there is something about if you've kind of built up this system that's all dependent on you and focused on you, that's a lot of pressure as well. Right. Yeah, like deliberately as I've built BidSketch, I've done it. Like I know I can make more money if I do, uh, you know, like more go for enterprise sales, do high touch stuff, whatever. I've like through every step of the way, I've made sure to build something that is low maintenance, doesn't require me to always be there, uh, doesn't require a lot of support, all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I've put all these constraints uh, in place. and I've grown maybe slower, but uh, it's still been pretty good, you know. Um, How does that? I'm okay with it because you know I don't. <laughs> I'm not tied to uh, to my business in that way, and I don't have just another job again. Yeah. How does that look practically? Like when you say that, it, it sounds a little bit like, um, you know, what people joke about lifestyle business and things like that. <laughs> right, right. But but what does that look like for you now? I mean, you talked. When we started this conversation, you talked about, you know, working your butt off um, three hours every night on top of your work. What does it look like now for you as you're kind of managing this team and a product that's already going? Hmm. So, like, I had, so I'll talk a little bit about what it was like uh, a few months ago. I just took, like, four months off, right? Wow. uh, You know, we, we had our first son. So he's not like nine months now, but during that period of time, it was just like, okay, um, I'm going to take some time off. And basically during that time, it was like five minutes of like five, 10 minutes of checking email. And then that's it, a day, right? Uh, So there wasn't much going on. There wasn't much going on on the development side either, right? Yeah. Like I wasn't working with two developers, you know, I, I knew I was going into that. So I kind of um, like talked to the developer who was part-time, only one person at that point in time, uh, and let him know what I was going to do uh, and that he was going to work less and on longer-term projects that were going to need less feedback from me. So mm-hmm. then, you know, uh, so that was pretty easy. Uh, on the support side, I had somebody doing support. Uh, and then, you know, 
it would just require just like uh, very few uh, emails from me to on a daily basis, like one email, if that, on a daily basis to, to manage. Um, so that was really easy uh, during the, that that point. And then once I, once I was ready to get to work again, right, because I had all these ideas and things that I wanted to do and grow faster and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, then I hired like the full-time developer and so now I have like the full-time uh, customer experience person, right? So I now have like a small team and I was really concerned about that. I kind of put that off for a while and I talked to a lot of people because I think um, I told some, I don't remember who I told this to, but I said, I don't, I don't want to hire an employee, like a full-time person, because it'll, I feel like I need to be, uh, I'm going to need to be like at work starting at nine and then right and leave at five or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. If they don't see me working all the time, then how, how will they feel? Yeah. So that was a really big concern uh, to me. But um, after talking to a few people, it was just, I, I realized that uh, it, a lot of it depends on the type of people that you hire and the mm -hmm. expectations that you set up front. Yeah. So now that I'm wanting to work a lot, like I'll wake up, uh, you know, and not get to work until like 10, maybe 11, generally about 10, 10 in the morning. Uh, I'll work for about a couple of hours. Then I'll take like a long lunch, uh, get back to work for another hour or two. Uh, lately I've been working a little bit more, so maybe another two or three hours. So I, I rarely, I don't really work like a full eight hour days. Uh, mm -hmm. It's more like five to six hours. Yeah. Uh, and that's a lot. Like that's the most I've worked in a long time. Um, and then that's it. Wow. So your life really changed. You, you put in a lot of hard hours at the beginning, but now it sounds like you have a lot of flexibility. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of it, too, was uh, picking, you know, like picking the right type of business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you were really mindful about that. Um, and I think, you know, that that's interesting because it is easy to start something and not think about, what you're kind of building, like what kind of support it's going to require, what kind of right. investment and all that stuff. But it sounds like you were pretty mindful about all that. Yeah, that was that was a really big deal to me, uh, you know, early on. And even as I've developed and grown the product and, um, you know, I'm doing a lot of stuff to move up the average revenue per customer, right, to make it more valuable to people and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I'm always thinking about that and how it's going to impact, like, you know, my personal life. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, before we go, I'm just thinking about the product people audience. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of these folks that haven't built and sold anything before. What would you say? What should be their first couple steps? So, yeah, there's so much there. I would uh, say that... Like, I don't know, one of the things that I just see most people not doing is taking action. So I see a lot of people, you know, reading and listening to podcasts and stuff like that, which is great. Uh, but then they're not, they don't seem to be doing much with that. Or they maybe come up with things that are too big, right? So I would say start with something really small and do some, take some sort of action uh, towards making that real, right? Um, 
So, like, for example, with BitSketch, my, and I remember having this conversation with somebody at my old job who was asking me, what are your plans with it? Mm -hmm. It was never anything like, okay, well, it's going to be able to replace uh, my salary and I'm going to quit and all this stuff, right? Yeah. It was just, uh, well, I'm going to build something kind of small and focused and I want to learn how to make money and, you know, how to market a little bit and, and then, you know, maybe I'll, maybe it's making a couple thousand dollars a month, you know, if I can get it up there. Mm -hmm. then, uh, I'll do something else. I'll launch something maybe bigger than that, right? So um, it just made it a lot easier for me to think of it in that way because it wasn't like this huge thing, right, that was going to be a failure unless it, you know, hit certain numbers and grew at a certain pace or anything like that. Exactly. I think that's really good advice. Let's, let's leave it there. Uh, you can find Ruben on Twitter. He's at EarthlingWorks. And you can check out BidSketch. It's BidSketch.com. And anything else that uh, anywhere else they, people can find you on the web? Uh, no, I think that's mainly it. That's it. And the, the blog that he was talking about is BidSketch.com slash blog. Thanks so much for your time, Ruben. Well, thanks. Thanks so much to Ruben Gamez for being on the show. You can follow me, Justin, on Twitter at MIJustin. And uh, you can also check out our sponsors at Sprintly. Thank them on Twitter and FusionCharts.com. This month, the Product People podcast celebrates its one-year anniversary. Over this year, I've produced 50 episodes, interviewed over 25 guests, people like Jason Freed, DHH, Jason Calacanis, Dan Martell, Amy Hoy, so many great guests. I appreciate every one of them. And we've had over 100,000 downloads. I've showed up every week, and so have you. And I really appreciate you being a listener. At the end of the month, I'm planning on uh, taking a break. Um, the show won't go away permanently, but I'm definitely going to be uh, stopping producing episodes for a while. So enjoy the next couple episodes we have until the end of October. And then uh, keep us in your feed, because you never know when we might pop up again. Thanks again so much for listening. I'll see you next week. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.